Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, thank you, Cher. Thank you, Abby. Um, when Sean called me about preaching, we started our conversation with the calendar. That's typical. Are you available December 5th? I'm like, oh, sure. And I said, yeah, that'll be fine. But then he told me it was a passage in Ezekiel. I'm like, oh, the prophets are confusing to me sometimes. And then on top of it, it is what I think is probably the spookiest story in the whole Bible. So I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. So if, um, if you're like me um, and you're thinking about what it means to be paying attention to Ezekiel during Advent, um, here's, here's what I'm going to do a little bit. I want to start by explaining some of what's happening when this spooky story shows up. I want to give you a story of my own about a dry bones experience and then talk a little bit about why this story is in Advent writing. Like what is it doing here in this space? So let's start with the, the prophets in, in general. So Ezekiel's a major prophet. That just means that he, like Jeremiah and Daniel and Isaiah, they just have long books. It doesn't mean they had more important things to say. It just means they had more. There are 12 minor prophets, and their books are shorter. When prophets are working, we tend to, we tend to think about prophecy as a, a kind of telling uh, or announcing of the future. And that's some of what they did. Um, it's true. They would say this is what's going to happen. And usually uh, when they were doing that, they were talking about the immediate future. So when we read some, some of the prophecy in the Old Testament, we get some future telling, oh, Jesus is coming, and we talk about those a lot during Advent. It's not exactly what's happening in this passage, but that's often how we think about it. But usually that future orientation is an immediate future for the people they're talking to, and for us it would be hearing it in the past. But mostly what they're doing, more than anything else, is the prophets are speaking for God. It's not like a, a prophet walks into the scene and says, um, here's my message, this is what I hope you'll learn, this is what I'd like for you to understand. It, it's the direct voice of God. God told me this, and I'm telling you. And that's what is happening here with Ezekiel. And that job of telling was almost always grounded in and as a reminder of God's covenant to his people. God promised us these things, and we promised these things back. We are in covenant together. And things are going really well. We're keeping our end of the covenant, and so there are blessings, or, as is more often the case, we're not being faithful. Um, we are turning to follow other gods, and so we're breaking our end of the covenant, and that's not going to turn out well. And that is what's happening here with Ezekiel, who's an interesting guy because he, uh, in his 20s, around that time, was probably studying for the priesthood, ready to be a priest in that era, and ran into big problems because a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who's in charge of Babylon, was taking over parts of the world, and he had come for Jerusalem, the city that he was in. We heard about this in, the, in last week's sermon because Jeremiah said, hey, we've been taken over here to this place in Jerusalem. We're going to be here a while. Settle in. Look for the peace of the city. And that's when Ezekiel shows up on the scene. So here he is, a prophet, um, needing to talk to the people in exile when he himself is in exile. So when Nebuchadnezzar came and took all of the people who were from prominent families from Jerusalem, he said, I'm going to settle you in this refugee camp here, out here in a settlement south of Babylon, and this is where I want you to stay from now on. Um, there, there Ezekiel is, right there in that crowd in that group. So the first 24 chapters of Ezekiel are uh, prophesying and telling about what it's going to mean for Jerusalem to be taken. Uh, then there's a few chapters there about 
prophesying what's going to happen to some other nations. And then the end of Ezekiel, chapters 33 to 48, are future telling from that present moment therein. It's important for us to remember while we read this passage that for people at the time, um, now keep in mind, they didn't have the benefit of having seen Jesus and Jesus' life. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in the same kind of way that it seems is happening today. And so for the, 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 the Israelite mind at the time, Jesus exists and lives in the land and in this temple. And so what it means that when a world ruler comes and destroys that city and destroys that temple, it would have felt very much like God himself had been destroyed. And then you're taken from that space and from that land. And so that's, that's the story we come into is the feeling that the people are having there. And from our hindsight, it's, easy to, easier, it's easier for me, I think, to say, well, I mean, God's still there, and God's everywhere, and God's present. But, but if you can think about what that would have been like for their experiment, experience. So I'm going to read this passage again with all of that in mind, what it means for um, the people of Israel to hear this story of Ezekiel, especially after all these years of him telling them less hopeful things about the future. So Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, verses 1 to 14 again. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. This is important to remember that he is speaking for God. He's not, it's not like a marketing message. It's not like, here's the thing, I hope you understand. He is standing between the people and God and giving the message. The Spirit of the Lord uh, brought me out and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. What a hor- like, hard, difficult, painful. And he didn't answer the question. I don't blame him. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. So he tells the people this stuff. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So they're coming to life, but then they're missing the breath. And so God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, And breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, the house of Israel says, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, says the Lord. 
So think about how powerful that vision would have been. A whole nation of people who themselves feel like that valley of dry bones, that, that emptiness, that, that disconnection. So it's a story of hope, isn't it? It's a story of hope for a whole people. It's not just one person or this person. It's, it's this collective um, belonging. Um, sometimes when I think about stories like this, it, it's, again, it's hard for me to relate to it because I have not myself been in, in exile or in these situations. But I think all of us, we have these kind of dry bones experiences, don't we? Um, I wanted to tell you a story of something that happened to me a couple years. Has it been a couple years ago now? It really is starting to add up. It was early in the pandemic. Good morning. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not bothered by this at all, but I am distracted. <laughs> For those of you on Zoom, uh, Maisie, the cat's come up on the platform, wants to hear about some dry bones. So here's my story. Once upon a time, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> I shouldn't be petting her before church. I'm, I think I might have caused some of that. Sorry, Mace. <laughs> so early on in the pandemic, like a lot of people, um, I had some big changes in my life and in my work. And in my job, I meet with clients who are leaders of teams. They, um, they, they work in um, middle, large organizations, and my job is to help them connect some of their internal core values to what it means to lead these group of people. And so when I'm with clients, the space that I have designed for them is very much trying to get them in an uncorporate kind of setting. I want them in soft furniture. The conference room has rounded edges. I mean, it's, it, there's, there's not fluorescent lighting, like I'm trying to get them in as uncorporate a space as possible. And I had worked on designing some space like that, then everything shuts down. So I'm either in that space or in a barn with clients, and now I've got neither of that, because sometimes we work with horses too. So I was working uh, um, with a business coach that Aubrey and I both work with, and Dan was saying, well, what are you going to do? I mean, here you are in a pandemic, and you can't meet with people. you got no income um, for the foreseeable future. What's going to happen? And I thought, well, that's a very good question, Dan. I have that same question. And so we started looking at some online resources. And, and one of the ideas was, well, I'll build some, some online uh, courses, which is going to require video, which I hate with a white-hot hatred. I know it's 2021, and people are on video, and I've got friends of you in here who are really good with video, and they're all natural about it, but I still feel like every time a camera's on me, it's like I'm on NBC being broadcast to the world. I know that's not true. <laughs> But that's what it feels like. And so I pulled myself together enough to see if Kat and Aubrey would help shoot this thing. We did. They came to my house. Um, we decided that would be the most comfortable space, plus it's a place we had access to, and it's a place where clients would be. And we shot it. And by shot it, I mean we tore everything in the house apart because you're trying to get the lighting just right, and then you're trying to cover things up so the sound doesn't bounce, and like things were off of my walls. Every piece of furniture was moved. It it looked like mayhem, and we finally got it done, and then we started looking at all the footage and realized well, this isn't going to work at all, so we're going to have to do it again. It was rigorous. 
So we did, and we finally got done, and we finally got finished, and um, I went to kind of put things back together. So this is like one of the spaces that when you come in, I want clients to have, oh, here's a hot drink, my mugs are up there, they've got my branding on the mugs. I've got that picture there that is the picture of a couple of my grandmothers. I was named for my grandmothers, and I named my business their maiden names. That's, so there's this kind of centering, grounding piece for me there. And so I put it all back together. Everybody had gone home, and I didn't just put it back together. I got serious about it. I'm like, this thing is so bad. I'm really going to make the most of this. My whole house is torn up. I'm going to clean everything. So I went into spring cleaning mode. So you know, you spend hours, and you're wiping everything down. There's the walls. There's the floors. Every bit of the furniture. And I was pleased to have my life back. I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to be okay. This is going to be okay. This is going to be okay. And I turned around from setting this up, and I heard a noise. Yeah. Yeah. And I turned around, and I, I saw this, and I looked at it, and I didn't cry. I didn't say any bad words. I didn't go, oh, man. I just stood there, and I just stared at it. And I'm standing there, thinking like this, just standing in my house going, huh. And then I thought, ooh, you should be yelling. You should be upset. You're just staring. This, you're not okay. This is not good. If you're not responding to this and you've just gone blank, you are in worse shape than you thought. So I slumped against the wall, slid down to the floor, took this picture, and sent it to Cat and Aubrey, because that's what you do when you're in dry bones experiences. And said something about this is how my day's going. And in a few seconds, the phone rings. It's Cat, and I said, "Hey," and she says, "Hey." Silent. She goes, "This is not a metaphor." <laughs> And I got a couple of laughs out because I'm like, well, that's a lot to pick up from one picture because that is how it feels. She's right. That's a, that's a. But as soon as I got the first couple of laughs out, then the tears came because I'm like, it sure feels like a metaphor. Because, you know, in that, in that stage, there was so much loss. I mean, my toes were right on the verge of losing my entire business and income. I had relationships that were cut off. I had no access to my family. It was dry bones, and it lasted for a long while. It still does sometimes. There's a piece of me that was a little hesitant to tell this story because I know that all of us have those dry bone stories. Some of us about isolation and a pandemic. Some of us about a diagnosis that we get from a doctor's visit. Some of us about that phone call where you got the news that you just really have been dreading to hear for so long. Some of it's because of broken relationships or watching things break apart. But the thing about these dry bones experiences is that just like in the same way that Ezekiel, when he is telling about these dry bones coming to life, he's not telling just one person's story. He's not saying, hey, you over there in this, in this tent, you or this woman or this guy, this is your story. It's not. It's, it's the collective story. When we have these dry bones experiences, when we when we feel that we are at our, our lowest, at our greatest loss, it is at that time, even though we might not be able to feel it, it is at that time that we are the most connected. 
So what does this have to do with Advent? Well, I mean, the story doesn't end with the dry bones. It tells the truth about the dry bones, and if that's where you are in that stage, in that place, let's don't just pretend that it's going to be okay and now we feel great because that's not helpful. But at the same time, we know that that's not where the story ends. That's not where it stays. And in fact, God is bringing us to life in surprising ways, in ways that we won't always recognize are happening in the moment. But it's in process. It's always in process. And Advent is sometimes about waiting for that life to come. So I would like to um, read for you. This will take a few minutes, but it's just a, it was just a simple search of times and places in the New Testament where Jesus is referred to as life, as the one who brings us life. Because while it's true we all have these dry bones, it's also true that life is coming and that life is here. Um, I left off looking up things about the Holy Spirit being the breath because, well, you know, Advent, we're going to look at Jesus' life. But that's a whole other line to think about. Also interesting, some of these passages have a lot to say about Jesus being the bread of life. It might be interesting for you to know that Barry Hershberger had this information for me, um, that the city of Bethlehem translated means house of bread. And so to think that the bread of life was born in Bethlehem, it's an, it's an interesting Advent connection too. So I'm going to read these passages to you. I'm going to pause between each passage. This will take a couple minutes. Um, if it helps you to close your eyes and listen, feel free. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. So in this Advent season, it's not just a baby we're waiting for. It's the very presence of God and of life who is among us. It doesn't mean we're done with the dry bones experiences. It just means that they're not, they're not the whole of the story. <laughs>